the schools that are offering it and are succeeding, I think are the schools that are not trying to say, right, so what does this child get for robotics as a mark? They're not interested in that. They're interested in the process that the child is going to go through by being involved in robotics. Robotics is no less a team sport than playing rugby. It might be less physical, but what I'm seeing is a level of cooperation and respect for each other and sportsmanship and gamemanship that we use traditionally to describe things like rugby and cricket and soccer. We're seeing it within this environment. I do think that people sometimes are fearful of technology. Failure is part of the process of success. The education of our children must be at the heart of our efforts. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. When you hear the word robotics, what do you think of? Do you think of the latest science fiction movie? Do you think of a 60s novel? Today we're going to talk about robotics in schools. This is not something new, but it's something that seems to be becoming far more relevant. Joining me in the studio today, I have three guests, each with a different perspective on robotics and the role it's going to play and is playing in education in South Africa. Gordon Witcher is a parent with two boys doing robotics. Philip Haas runs his own company selling robotics into schools. And Gershom Aitchison is headmaster of a school that has recently started a robotics club. Between us, we're going to learn a little bit more about robotics, what it is, where it's going, and what practical purpose it serves in schools. My name is Gordon Witcher. I'm a parent and uh, the headmaster of the school where my kids go is part of this conversation. And my interests are my kids' interests. And uh, we have had a good experience with um, robotics. And uh, we're starting it at um, this new school that my kids are at. Philip, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your contribution today. I'm involved from a commercial side. I work for a company, Hands-On Technologies, and we are the Lego education distributors. We work exclusively with schools, and we provide Lego education robotic solutions to different schools in our country. And I'm a ex-teacher myself, so I've got some teaching experience and ended up in this Lego education industry with a bit of luck, doing some training for a small corporate. And as things developed, got involved more from a commercial side. And now myself and my business partner are running a small little technology company, Hands-On Tech, and we promote and market robotic solutions to the school market. And Gershom Etchison. I'm Gershom Acheson, as Gavin mentioned. I'm headmaster of Education Incorporated, a boutique private school in Fourways. And as Gordon mentioned, his two boys come to Education Incorporated and he introduced robotics to the school via Philip. And I found it a very interesting journey and it's provoked a lot of thought and conversation for us. Well, let's start with a very simple question. What is robotics? Robotics is a way of helping children first construct something and then in a fun way get their construction to move and do something. 
So it, it's a combination of mechanical construction and then programming to get the object or the robot to, to move and do something. It's the, I would call the whole process robotics. Gordon Gershom has indicated that you were the catalyst in getting involved in robotics. Why is robotics important to you? Well, I suppose, you know, uh, based on my professional experience, uh, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, doing process optimization, doing corporate restructurings and things like that. And um, it always struck me, you know, in terms of where automation and where human beings sort of uh, connect. And um, it was just interesting to see my kids starting to interact with robotics. And it struck me that um, the ability to actually manage that interface. They live in a digital world. They live in a world that's going to be governed by, I would guess, one could say, different parameters, different ways of dealing with other people, or disappearing into data, disappearing into what they do and what they enjoy doing. And it's not our world. I think it's going to come natural to them, but they're going to need the tools. So it just seemed to me, once they actually got into that, that it's a natural progression and it becomes almost a tool set. They don't see it as that. They're playing. They're having fun. But I think they're getting, at the same time, they're being equipped for a world that's rapidly changing. And I can see that in corporate environments. And um, I can see, you know, how people always talk about the jobs of the future are still going to be created. And uh, for me, it's important to see my kids almost play their way into that environment where they can um, uh, help themselves and actually become rounded people, professional persons, you know, into the future. Philip, of all the businesses you could be in, why are you in robotics? I think uh, what happened was as an educator myself, um, I ended up in a training environment and uh, I was working mainly with training teachers. And as I got more involved in the Lego education side of this, of the small business, I started playing with mechanical solutions that I knew nothing about. So I may have learned about those solutions at school when I was doing science and maths to matric, but it was all textbook level. There was no practical side to it. And and as I played more with this, Lego then brought out a robotic set that was like almost overwhelming for me. Is all these technical skills that I knew nothing about now fitted into robotics. And then what happened was the, the Lego education robot sets became so much more child-friendly and teacher-friendly that I found myself enjoying it. Then the business took a bit of a turn and we ended up being the Lego education distributors. So we, w- we were almost forced into now understanding this product so that we could get this to our clients. So it was a bit of chance. But it was also interesting to me because it was stuff I knew nothing about. Gershom, running a school takes a lot of work. Why are you allocating so much of your valuable time to robotics? I suppose the journey started last year. Went to a cluster meeting on programming with the other private schools and was exposed to Sphero and I think there was Lego Robotics there at that point. But the focus was more on a pre-built item that was programmed to change colors, change direction. It was about the distance. And I liked that, but I I wasn't captivated by it because it it seemed that it was quite limited in what you could do. So I suppose with that question in mind, when Gordon came and suggested this and introduced me to Philip, I really had an idea of what I was looking for. And what I really, really liked about the Lego Robotics was that 
there's two sides to it in my mind. The first side is the kinesthetic process of actually building the model that Philip mentioned. It's taking the 2D instructions on the page, not only following them, but creating a 3D object, as it were. I believe that learning through play, that experiential learning is very important, and the tactile experience for the kids is very, very important. And the second side of it is the programming side, getting that object or that robot or whatever it is to actually do something and follow instructions. And the important part for me in that is it covers a lot of skills that I feel that students are lacking in subject. There's a lot of cross-subject pollination, as it were. Things like process-orientated thinking, beginning to end. If your robot doesn't do something, it's because you've given it the wrong instruction or given it the wrong sequence. It's about logical thinking. It's about attention to detail. It's not moving forward at 100% speed. It needs to move forward at 75% because that changes the distance it can travel and things like that. It exposes the kids to a lot of things like measurements and degrees and things that are perhaps a little bit abstract in math that they don't really get to use all the time, but they're actually getting that option and seeing it in reality. It also varies the cognitive levels that the kids are exposed to in terms of problem solving and how they are going to be approaching solving the problem. So when I did my training with Duncan at Hands-On Technology, he did an explanation on how something worked, and then he posed the problem to us on how to solve that. And the first one is very simple, you know, cognitive level one or two, and that is make the robot go forward, stop, and turn right. That's pretty straightforward. Then we started integrating the sensors, and, you know, that moves into a more analytical and structured process that this sensor does this, and it has different variations on how it's seeing things or measuring things. And then the final part was integrating the basics, all the sensors, into a complex routine so that your robot is executing something that's more than just going straight turning left and stopping when it sees the color black a lot more than that and i like the fact that what it brings to education as such trial and error kids who will give up on one math sum or one comprehension question will go back a hundred times because their robot is not turning left the way they want it and they will change it at one micro degree at a time the fear of failure doesn't exist Failure is part of the process of success, yet we fear making mistakes in a normal classroom environment. The experiential learning, learning through actually doing something and integrating all your senses. The organization and structure of thought is very, very important to me. And the attention to detail, as I mentioned. These are all skills that kids need in a, in a, in a school, in a classroom environment, from the very beginning right until the end. So why are we investing in this? When I ask friends, around a bri, why do you think robotics is great in school? And they, there's a simple line, it's preparing my kids for the future. How does it prepare your kids for the future? Kids today with technology don't run around in the garden and climb trees and do what they do at scouts and things like that. They are sitting in front of a screen and it's a virtual world. This is something that integrates that technology, as Gordon said, the world of the future with something that's very real and practical in their lives right now. So it is preparing them for the future, not just in the technology side of things, but in how they are being taught to think, how they're being taught to organize their thoughts. Gordon, you talked about your boys being excited. Can you describe the first time they encountered it? What did, did they have to come and sell you on the concept of going to robotics? How did you stumble across this the first time? To be honest with you, I think what we did was um, my kids played sport on Saturday and uh, the season ended. So we were looking for something good. For them to actually just um, keep them off the streets. We sort of stumbled into robotics and we took them there. They didn't really have a concept. I think kids have the same fear of new things as adults sometimes. And then I think the initial part was 
they were fearful that they weren't equipped or they needed something to be part of that little team. They needed to um, show that they already have competence. So they were quite apprehensive. I think once they actually got part of the process and they understand that there's actually different levels, you don't have to come in at the top level and, and know everything. You can actually progress at your own pace. You could drive yourself. And uh, if you like uh, something a little bit more than uh, another aspect of it, you can explore that. So it was actually quite good that the club where we started allowed the kids a little bit of freedom. The, my youngest son is more a builder than a programmer. He can put stuff together that other people just you know wonder about. And my oldest son is much more measured, non-tactile. He doesn't want to struggle with the building side, but he's actually quite good at the trial and error side of it. So both of these kids found their niche uh, very quickly and uh, almost forced them also to start interacting with other kids because they were forced to work in teams. You could see the team dynamic coming in. So I really want to back up what Gershom was saying in terms of you know drawing the kids into an environment where they actually pull their faces away from the screen and they're actually interacting. They are trial and erroring. And I think it's a, it's a nice, safe, safe environment where they can experiment without fear of failure. It just took us a little bit of, in the first part, for them to realize that it's actually okay to be not okay. Did it take multiple visits before they got excited, or was this minutes? What the club did was they actually didn't want the parents to hang around on the edges, and so because they, we influenced them by just being around. So we left them, and as we came back as a team, they said, sorry, we're coming back next week so they were they were immediately hooked the oldest one went to the the row which maybe um, philip can expand on but it's a competition and it's uh, the world robotics olympiad and uh, there's a there's a little bit of a competitive edge to it if the club starts going in that space and there's a bit of a reward for putting effort in and uh, you start measuring yourself against it so the oldest one really enjoyed uh, getting involved on that stage and it was quite an eye-opener to actually go with about uh, 50, 60 other teams into a big hall at the university and starting to build these things under time pressure and that. So it, it was all around, it was a great experience. And um, it was them and uh, their enthusiasm that got me to go and speak to Gershom. So there's evidently a fair amount of excitement from the children's side and the parents' side. Philip, are schools beating down your door saying, please come and do robotics here, or are you still having to knock on doors and introduce them to the concept? So I think uh, there are two sides of the question. In, in the past, robotics was available. I think uh, our schools were a little bit slow on the uptake. And, and what's happened in the last two years is the schools are dragging each other to a certain level. So when, when I say the schools, you might have a prominent school in the Randburg area, and they would invest in robotics, and the other schools would hear about it and say, what is this robotics, and how does it work? And that would open the doors. But generally, schools are difficult clients to work with because if you phone the school and you try to get an appointment, you struggle to get past the secretary. But if you've got a bit of a teaching background or you know people at the school or you, you've got a colleague you used to teach with, it's a lot easier to get into the school. So as not a policy, but generally as a company, we've used our contacts to, to do business. And what's happened recently, as Gordon has done, he's opened doors for us to get into a school like Edu Inc. And slowly the word of mouth is growing the robotics. 
But uh, the, the unfortunate thing is robotics is not a cheap hobby or it's, a, it's not a cheap intervention. It's at the moment restricted to, let's say, the so-called private school market. But the schools are finding the budget because they realize it's important and they, they realize that they've got to keep up with investment and they, they've also got to make sure that the kids that are not the rugby and the hockey and the cricketers also need something to do. And uh, that investment is going into what I would call digital learning, which could be gaming, it could be robotics, commonly known as mind sport. Is this a fad? Is this, mom and dad, please buy me a puppy, and by week two, mom and dad are feeding the puppy. Gordon, are you finding that after weeks and months, your children are still as excited, still as engaged, still doing it? And Philip, are you finding that schools buy kids from you, start robotics club, and three months later, they're saying, please take the stuff back, the kids have lost interest? This thing is progressive. So um, if you're done with the little booklet that comes with the, the pack, the initial pack, there's a wealth of information out there, especially on the internet, what people have done. So you could start building your own projects. Uh, my kids are enthused to do it at the school with their friends. I think it's different when you do it at home. Um, then it's mum and dad also you know, trying to find time amongst all the other things that they have to do. And now it becomes a chore. I think when you do it in a, a school environment, in a club environment, it will keep the enthusiasm going. And because it's progressive in nature, they could eff effectively push themselves to much higher heights than where they started. It becomes almost um, a journey that they dictate the pace and how far they can go. Philip, who are the champions usually? Generally, when you're working in a school environment, the teacher is very important. The teacher is now becoming a, a skilled robotics coach if this is being offered at their school. And the, the way the schools are, are setting systems up at their prospective schools would be they would offer robotics as a academic subject where everyone, boys, girls, from grade four to seven, let's say, would do some type of robotics. And then those that are really interested to take it to a new level would choose it as an elective. And they would then join the after-school club that would take it to the level that uh, Gordon was talking about, where they can now enter competitions, they can compete against other schools. And it, it's almost like uh, the way I equate it is to a, a cricket match. So the children go and they practice their cricket in the nets, but they want a match. So that competition, the World Robot Olympiad that Gordon mentioned earlier, is like the match. So the clubs at the different schools then enter their teams into a world robot event and they compete against other teams, other schools, and for the first time they see that they're not that bad, but the other kids that are better than me. And it creates a little bit of pressure, but it also creates fun because it's not just about winning a robotics tournament. It's about them competing, sharing ideas, meeting other people. To answer your question, the person or the facilitator or the coach is the the driver without that driver you could see robot sets on a shelf gathering dust but generally the investment is high so if a school board or governing body has made a decision to do robotics generally there is implementation Gershon there's a lot of excitement Gordon's kids are excited Philip is talking about schools and teachers who are coaches are excited is there more to this than just excitement? Is there some meaningful, sustainable teaching stroke learning going on here? Yeah, there is. 
I was quite overwhelmed by the, the interest. And our model, we went in reverse to what Phillips just explained. So instead of introducing it as a subject per se, we started as an extramural to gauge where it would go and how we'd be able to use it. And initially, the, the offering was a, a three robots, which is for six students. And in the first week, I had 14 kids. So very quickly, I was phoning Philip and asking if we could wangle and try and find another set of three robots. One student, after a couple of weeks, decided that she didn't want to do it. But from grade four to grade nine, a mixture of boys and girls, very, very excited about doing it. That excitement hasn't waned. And what we've done is we've said to the students, you can stay. We're offering it on Mondays and Wednesdays. You can come both days or one day. And what we're finding is if the kids have a project or they've got something that's overwhelming them one day, they will come the next day. They might miss out on something, but they're in a team with somebody else. So they're kind of pairing off with each other. And I suppose the aim for us is that I would like to introduce it to the whole school through technology. Technology is traditionally used in the school where they're teaching them structures, pulley systems. It's an introduction to physics, as it were. And I believe that this is part of what needs to happen. It's as important as learning to use a screwdriver and a hammer and the glue and the vice and the lathe. As, and I'm not saying that we don't do that, but we should be doing that plus doing this because that's exposing the kids to more and giving them more of an interest. So from our side up until grade nine, yes, we would like to expose the kids to it within the curriculum and we have a space to do that in technology. And now let's get to know our guests just a little bit better in our quick fire round. Coffee or tea? Coffee. 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 Apple or Android? Apple. Android? Apple. Who's your favorite musician, band, era, or genre? ELO. I'm a Sting fan, and then locally, I uh, listen to Goldfish and Just Ginger. Can we be down with ourselves, respectful and mindful of one, of one another? If you could give one book to every person you meet, what book would it be? The Saint, The Surfer and The CEO by Robin Sharma. Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. The Four Day Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Which is your favorite robot from any sci-fi genre, book, movie or comic? Kirby Sunny from iRobot. I did not murder him! R2-D2, Star Wars. Commander Data from Star Trek. Commander, your reputation for physical strength is known even in the Klingon Empire. You are familiar with the Bahat Kul challenge? I am familiar with many Klingon rituals, including the Bahat Kul. Other than the obvious, like WhatsApp and mail, what apps do you use on your phone that make your life better, easier, more organized? I live in Google Calendar. 
definitely the, the apps that allow you to manage and control uh, flying time with airlines. Netflix, Google Drive, Voice Memo. Thin base or thick base? Thick base. Thin, thin base. Deep base. What's your favorite holiday destination? Nature's Valley. If you have to ask, don't come. Mauritius. Scotland. What do you spend absurd amounts of money on? Fly fishing. Fly fishing and technology, yeah. Used to be golf, but now it's probably my kids. Which subjects that are part of the curriculum does robotics either complement or supplement? Broadly speaking, all subjects following instructions. A lot of it is verbal, verbal instructions. There's a discussion on a problem and how you might solve it. And it's multiple instructions. It's not one instruction. It's this is the problem. Let's go and do this, this, and this and see how it works. I think specifically for the mathematical subjects, the physics, the maths, the trial and error approach is very, very important. I think for all subjects, it's the fear of failure. And I think for all subjects, it's the experiential learning. You don't have to be sitting behind a desk to be able to do Shakespeare. You should be up being one of those characters. It's a nice way to introduce the students to have an expectation that learning is not just sitting behind a desk the whole time. Specifically for me, I'm very excited about the mathematical subjects in the FET phase being accounting, physics, and mathematics, because a lot of the skills you need to be successful with robotics will cross-pollinate into those subjects. A phrase I've heard a few of you use today is this fear of failure and mistakes. There seems to be something different about children failing and making mistakes in robotics that doesn't end in frustration and giving up. There seem to be a perseverance or a continuation of this despite these ongoing failures. And, and what's going on here? I think what's going on here is what I alluded to at the beginning when I was talking about a manipulative or constructing something. So the Lego brick as such, if you go back to just putting bricks together, it's all about constructing something and breaking it down. I think what's happening here with uh, Lego robotics is children can build a robot, and if it doesn't work, it's very simple to break it down and try again. And it's not cast in stone. So it gives them the flexibility to build something up, and actually the learning taking place is when they break it down. So and I equate that to a broken uh, DVD player or old VCR player. Put that down and you start opening it up with your kids or something. They're so amazed at what's in there that by breaking it down and looking at the moving parts inside there is actually where they're learning. And that's how I would say the Lego robot system works. The first solution is never going to be the one that's going to be the best. So they've got to break that down and try again. As they do that, their fear of failure dis disappears. If we give a child a math problem and they get it wrong the first time, we see the slump shoulders and the defeat and I, I can't do math. But from what I'm hearing you say, they're making hundreds of mistakes in a robotic session to try and get this device to do what the objective is. Hundreds of mistakes, yet they're still enthusiastic and leaning into it. Why? Well, I think the focus is different. I think the focus in math is about getting the sum right. Whereas in robotics, it's about making sure the robot is doing what you're asking it to do. There seems to be a tangible output that we're expecting, and, it, and there's no set way on how to get to that output. 
So we give them the skills to understand how the programming works and how the sensors work and how the robotics work, the, the mechanics of it. And we're saying, right, that's what we'd like the outlook to look like. And what I expect to see happening as we become more advanced is that the robots will be doing what we want them to do. But the kids, if you look at the actual programming and how they sequenced it, is going to be different. So as a, as a very simple example, one of the first challenges I gave the kids when we were doing the turn right, turn left, etc. and measurement was, I'd like your robot to start in the bottom left-hand corner of the table and end in the top right-hand corner of the table. And a lot of the kids were busy working on measuring exactly how we work up straight and then we turn right and then we go this distance and we stop. And then one kid was like, Sir, can we go diagonally? And I went, I don't know. Can you go diagonally? I just said, you've got to start in this corner and end in the top corner. Suddenly, he was measuring one straight line and he finished first. And that's what we're looking at. Today, I've just come from a robotic session and we're trying to combine two sensors, a color sensor as well as the ultrasonic sensor. And we've been using both independently. Now, I asked him to combine them and see if we can do that. 15 minutes going down, trying it, coming back. No, oh, it didn't work. Just try, I've tried this way. Have you tried this? It's doing this. It's doing that. Trying to figure out the problem. At half past, I had to chase them out because class is finished and I had to be here. So I think it's about coming to the solution at the end and knowing that it's something tangible where things like a comprehension and mathematics just seems to be a never-ending slog of learn this, regurgitate, learn this, regurgitate. And maybe that's a lesson to how we construct our curriculums when it comes to things that kids, oh, maths again. This is what we're going to do, guys. If When we've done this, we've succeeded in what we're doing. Just from a parent's perspective, and it's actually good advice that Gershom gave me, Lindsay and myself, obviously when we try and help our kids with homework and all that, and especially with math, I think sometimes, you know, I don't know if it's the same in the class environment, but you become outcome-based as opposed to process-based. I think what robotics does is naturally it gravitates towards process and trying to figure it out. I love math at school. But it's because we actually were process-driven as opposed to get the answer right. It's actually about how you get to an answer. Especially when you get into university late in life. I mean, you get to mathematical problems that actually do not have one answer. That's where robotics will and, and helps them to understand that it's a process. They don't articulate it that way. But um, I do think and I can see it in terms of how they're starting to you know, react to math. And I'm trying to get them to think about math differently. It's uh, a process. You guys have mentioned tournaments and championships. And Gordon, you mentioned the socializing aspect of it, where the children are encouraged to work in groups or have to work in groups, in fact. Is this a sneaky way to get the stereotypical computer nerd away from behind the computer and out making friends and doing stuff with goals and targets and, and, and a tournament and as much of an outcome as a sporting tournament would have? My two kids, if I can speak on them, they are definitely not computer nerds. They are rather physical and um, they're boisterous. And um, I think for them, it's not necessarily, I think uh, they might be a little bit over-focused on gaming and all that. I think it's also using that energy that would go into, you know, antisocial behavior where people game and then it's almost like they exclude themselves, you know, from their friend environment and, and even their parents, and they disappear into a room and they can sit there for hours, where it becomes a shared experience. They work with other people, and they also learn that, you know what, two and maybe even three minds are better than one. You know, they can see that um, interaction where 
two or three ideas together and people bouncing ideas off to one another, um, one plus one ends up in three. So I do think there might be an aspect where, you know, you entice people and it becomes a social tool. I think it could work the other way around as well, where a natural talent finds an outlet, you know, for, you know, people that are just normal. And it's a, it's a different avenue for them to explore and to get rid of some energy as well. Well, I think, you know, Philip mentioned earlier, he was referring to a cricket match, talk about rugby and sports. Robotics is no less a team sport than playing rugby. It might be less physical, but what I'm seeing is a level of cooperation and respect for each other and sportsmanship and gamemanship that we use traditionally to describe things like rugby and cricket and soccer. We're seeing it within this environment. In preparing our kids for the future, and, and rugby and cricket and soccer is always touted as a very important part of their social development, robotics is no less than that. The competitiveness gives you something to aim towards. It gives you something to work towards and to measure your, your ability and your skill. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it definitely does motivate human beings. One of my current students, his whole objective in joining the robotics club is to take the set that we have and build the robot that can solve the Rubik's Cube and program that. That's how advanced the school set is. That's why he's there and that's what he wants to learn how to do. I've got other kids who want to be able to build robots that can do multiple things. I've got the youngsters who want to do robot wars. But in giving them some focus and direction, it means they have to hone specific skills. I feel that my experience within an office space in finding solutions to problems, robotics is conducive to that. Here are my ideas. Let's try it out. It doesn't work. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It means that his work worked better. Oh, but that was a great idea. Let me add to that. That's what I'm looking at. And I, and I think the team effort in it is not just about passing a ball and being coordinated. It's also about respecting each other's ideas, realizing that when someone, when your idea doesn't work, it doesn't mean that you step back. It means that you contribute to someone else's idea or vice versa. Tournaments and competitions and world championships. Tell us a little bit more about how big this thing really is. I attended my first World Robot Olympiad in the Philippines in Manila in 2010. It blew my mind. I, I went across as a judge and there were, I think, four South Africans who went across and we were just overwhelmed at how many countries were involved. There were, at that point, I think, 38 countries involved, over 420-odd robotics teams, and it was just mind-blowing from the robotics table challenges to the open category, almost uh, like a science display exhibit uh, cubicles to the world robot football games. It, it was happening. And uh, that's when, as a company, Hands-On Tech decided we've got to get more involved in this. We started marketing the competition to our clients, our schools that we work with. And since 2010, I've attended all the World Robot Olympiads at the different host countries. Each year, there's a new host country. In 2017, last year, the host country was Costa Rica. And South Africa took 13 teams to the competition. Our results are not the worst in the world, but we're not the top winners either. But we have achieved a, a silver medal in one of the categories before. But our teams are competitive. South African teams are up there. Um, we're competing with the rest of the world. Our numbers are just behind. So South Africa would have 350 teams doing World Robot Olympiad and some of the Southeast Asian teams from Singapore, Malaysia, China, they would have 3,000 teams. 
So when they get to the event, they bring the cream of the crop. This year's finals will be in Thailand in the middle of November. Where is robotics going? We've talked about it as a hobby. We've talked about it moving forward from being a hobby to part of the curriculum. We've talked about it being part of the curriculum and evolving into an advanced hobby. How does this form part of the future? I just don't see uh, things working and operating in a vacuum and by itself. I mean, I've been spending quite a bit of time looking at things like fintech, blockchain, and the kind of technology platforms that there's an inflection point and it's going to cause the shift in a number of industries from insurance to banking to all of that. So when I see robotics, and um, I can't really quote, you know, the projects out there, but these are big names, people that's actually successfully using it in financial services, but they couple it with other things like artificial intelligence and uh, and that. So the, the interesting thing for me is that I think the kids, once they actually understand how to actually tinker and have the tools, you know, in terms of mindset, how to deal with it, I think they can step, you know, into that environment much, much better than somebody like perhaps at my age that are not tech savvy and that open to collaboration. I think um, it, it's changing the whole face of the industry. So, yeah, so in a nutshell, I, I would look out for where robotics is going is it where it's actually touching on things like fintech and artificial intelligence. And um, I think in the next five to ten years, the world is going to change completely. Yosham, education is a very slow-moving behemoth. Curricula don't change overnight. We keep talking about schools of the future. We keep hearing people talk about new technologies. Is this the breakthrough product that helps initiate that change? In some aspects, the future of robotics is around us. We're just not aware of it. An example of that would be a close friend of mine that I was at school with. Two years ago, I went to visit him in Switzerland. He could do his job anywhere in the world. He chooses where he is. He's got a big window and he overlooks the Alps while he's working. He makes products for companies that require the robotic skills. So as an example, one of his, his clients is a company called GoldenEye, which does permanent cosmetics. And when we, we talk about permanent cosmetics, we're talking about tattooing, but not to the level that you would on your, your normal skin. You know, it's your eyebrows, it's your lips and things like that. And he sits with a board and puts it all together and builds the device and writes the programming for this, sends it away, has the boards printed, codes them, for example. And he does this from home. That technology is out there. Our kids might be doing exactly the same thing. It might be designing the new cell phone. It doesn't have to happen in a warehouse somewhere. They could be sitting tinkering around, and it could start with, which is already available, is your, your Raspberry Pis, um, and all the sensors and stuff that goes with it, or things like that. So that is already there, and I see it, the natural progression from the Mindstorm Robotics to as the kids get older going, I've got a problem. How can I solve it? Oh, let me get a, a Raspberry Pi, which also uses Scratch that you can program it, or Python, or Bash, combining them together. And it wouldn't surprise me that we're going to see some of the, the innovations coming from that kind of space. And I think it's a gateway product into the other things that can be used. I do think that people sometimes are fearful of technology. And parents do not quite understand what it is. So I don't know whether it is a PR thing or an awareness thing. 
I think kids um, naturally, once they're actually at the feeding trough, they will help themselves. I do think it's, um, you know, when I speak to people around the, the fireplace and I tell them about what you know, my two boys are doing, they they look at it and they think, you know, you actually, you know, your kids are walking on water. Meanwhile, actually, it's accessible. There's no barriers of entry, really. Perhaps it is um, a little bit expensive to have the kit, but that's why the beauty of a club comes to force. So I would encourage parents to look at, at um, finding a nice club, whether it's at a school or, you know, a Saturday club. And get through the door. You don't really have to be at a certain level. You can start as an absolute novice and know nothing. And it's okay. And you could be an absolute whiz. And it's also okay because there's room for you to be stretched. Both my kids started with absolutely no robotics experience. And then before that, um, although I did a lot of programming in that, I had no clue actually in terms of what robotics and what Mindstorms actually involved. The barrier to entry is very, very low. And I think that's where Philip has a very um, big role to play. Phone hands on technology. Where's your closest club? He knows where it is. I think the appeal from Mindstorms is that Lego is sexy. Lego is cool. And it's cross-gender. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. And what really got to me and the excitement that I have as the champion of, of Mindstorms at Edgewink is it says 10 years old to 99. I hope I'm still playing with it at 99 or programming with it. The expansion sets on the basic one is also very, very exciting. There's no limit to it on what it can actually do. If it's just making something that goes in a straight line, that recognizes basic colors and gives it instruction to solving a Rubik's Cube, this is what the basic set can do. If you want to see how kids would approach robotics and my experience of them approaching robotics in the short time I've done it, give them a cell phone and an iPad. That same fearlessness with that they just get involved and get things done and try things and change settings, that's exactly what they do in robotics as well. It's inspirational, and it's something that old people can learn from the youngsters when it comes to that. If anybody listening has children at a school that doesn't offer robotics, where can they go? We've got Philip here, and we've got hands on tech. I would really um, encourage people just to look them up, speak to them, because literally they know where every one of these uh, sets have actually gone to in the country it's also, you know, uh, to find out exactly where you are geographically and all that, and you can find the best advice. So um, we didn't start with him, but I, um, we ended with him. That's where I would point them. Generally, it's school and community-driven. Often you'll find that people get involved in robotics because their children are perceived to be weak academically and they can't read or write. The parents or the teachers at that school will try something that's going to get those children engaged. And that's how it mushrooms and starts up. The schools that are offering it and are succeeding, I think, are the schools that are not trying to say, right, so what does this child get for robotics as a mark? They're not interested in that. They're interested in the process that the child is going to go through by being involved in robotics. The soft skills they pick up, like the language skills and being able to communicate in a team, are all things that teachers look back and they go, wow, I never knew that about this kid. Is Edu sending a team to the World Robot Olympics this year? I've got a few kids that are going to be very interested in going in August. And if they qualify, then I'm quite sure that that's where we're going to be heading. Eduink is not just about the Eduink students. You asked how can we get involved, we'd welcome people from outside whose school doesn't offer it, 
give us a shout and Monday afternoons and Wednesday afternoons. Did You Think is recorded and produced at Solid Gold Studios. Thank you to my guests, Gordon Witcher, Philip Haas, and Gershom Aitchison for sharing their knowledge and excitement and enthusiasm on robotics with us today. For more information, visit the show notes at solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash edutink. Until next time, keep learning. Keep learning.